Friends, I want to encourage you to engage with me here this morning. You're going to need your copy of the Scriptures. We're going to look at many of them here today. Varied, varied texts. But before we do, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, God, we ask now that your Holy Spirit descend on this place. Engage our hearts and our ears and our mind that we might study this truth, that we might come to an understanding that we have not had as of yet today. And that God, in knowing the truth and understanding the truth, we will believe it and live it for your glory, for the honor and the praise of Jesus. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Memorial Day. I mean, that's about remembering that uh, Summers has arrived, right? Isn't that how we uh, celebrate it? Memorial Day, let's have a picnic. It's summer. And then there's the 4th of July, which of course is the reminder that, hey, you're about halfway through with summer. Better pay attention. Isn't that what that's all about? And of course, Christmas time is about picking out a nice tree and decorating it. I mean, is that the way we celebrate it? Is that what the season is all about, my friends? Christmas, about the trees and the lights. It's a tradition. You've likely been doing this your whole life. But perhaps it's time for us to stop and think and consider this morning, what Christmas is really all about. I mean, you know the truth. You go to Family Bible Church. But how has that truth impacted the way that you remember the incarnation of Jesus? I mean, is it even worth celebrating? I mean, do we just acknowledge it and go on with our life? Hmm. Why does it really matter that Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us. Is it simply just so he'd go to the cross, die, return to heaven, mission accomplished? I would suggest to you that's not the case. And this morning I'm going to present to you five reasons why Jesus became the God-man. Five reasons. There are more, my friends, but for this morning we will look at five. And the first reason that Jesus became the God-man is to reveal God to us. To reveal God to us. John chapter 1, in verse 14, He became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Yeah. People that walk the earth at that time and in the future and the new heavens and the new earth in the same way look Jesus in the face. Jesus became the God-man in order to reveal God to us. And do you know what else he did? 
in revealing God to us, Jesus demonstrated God's justice. You want to know something about justice, the justice of God, in that every sinner will be punished. And it won't be to send them to the corner and to remind them not to be naughty fellows. My friends, the cross tells us all about the justice of God. The pages of Scripture are clear. All the way from the back at the beginning of Genesis, we learn about the flood and about how God looks on the hearts of man and every thought and intent of the heart is only evil continually. And God determines that he will wipe them out. That is how God feels about your sin that are so easy to overlook. Well, oops, right? Oops, I guess I shouldn't have done that. God demonstrated God's justice when they nailed Jesus to the cross. And you remember the reason for the, the, the crucifixion, my friends, was somebody's idea of how much pain and agony can we inflict on someone while they die. People who were crucified would hang on the cross for days, typically. And the idea is it hits this nerve in your wrist and that it wasn't the palms. They, you, they would tear you. You would just tear yourself off the cross that way. And it would cause you to suffocate. And so that, that the big uh, nails through the heels, you would push up on that. Can you even imagine? Up in order to breathe down to eliminate the pain moving into suffocation. Agony. Jesus became a man, the God-man, in order to demonstrate God's justice. If you want to know what God thinks about your oops, take a look at Jesus hanging on a cross. But you know what? Jesus not only demonstrated God's justice, he demonstrated God's grace. Because in the very same way that Jesus is hanging on that cross, suffocating, <laughs> trying to breathe, It screams out to every one of us. God's grace. Christ died. Endured this agony. This separation from God when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was because of you. And your sin. And he endured it because he is a God of grace. For by grace are we saved. God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. Grace. 
Jesus died in our place, that we might be forgiven. And not just forgiven, adopted into God's family to be called the sons of God. Imagine. And then if it even needs to be stated, my friend, Jesus demonstrated God's love. He healed. He taught the truth that people might walk in it and live. He showed compassion. And He died in our place. And there is no greater love than a man die for his friend, lay down his life for a friend. And that is what Jesus did for you. Unmistakable love. Reason number one, Jesus became the God-man, is to reveal God to us. You want to know something about God? Take a look at Jesus. Second reason Jesus became human, the God-man, was to be a model of righteous living. You want to know how you ought to be living these days, December of 2021? Take a look at Jesus. Did you know that Jesus expected his disciples to follow him? Part of the definition of being a disciple of Jesus is to follow him. But that isn't just to walk in his steps, my friend, to go where he goes, but to live as he lived. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Hear these words that you've heard before and understand them. Matthew 28, Matthew 11, I'm sorry, verse 28. And Jesus says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. What he's saying there is you follow me. I'm your teacher. I teach you the way to live and you live this way. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus accused the Pharisees of putting a yoke on people that they themselves would not bear. A lifestyle full of rules and lines drawn hard and sharp only to be able to accuse them when they could not follow. Peter. Peter taught that we should follow his example. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19. If you didn't hear me, it's on the screen. It's on one of them anyway. The one I can see. Good. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19, Peter writes this, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God... One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. He's talking to believers who are enduring persecution. 
And he said, this is, this is an act of grace here. When mindful of God, thinking of God and enduring this for him, enduring sorrows while suffering unjustly, for what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it? You deserve it. <laughs> you endure. But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. And this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And notice carefully verse 21. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And so you live well. And you live the way that Jesus lived. You live righteously, compassionately, lovingly. And when you suffer for it, you say, who would suffer for such a thing? Sure, go ahead, speak the truth, and see how people respond. I did a funeral recently where I preached the gospel, and there was someone sitting right there. Now, it's not you, of course, but... And as soon as I started laying out the truth of the gospel, this person scowled hard at me. And here I am trying to kick the door open to heaven for them. Hear the truth. Trust in Christ and be free. Forgiven. Filled with hope. And such hatred and scowling. Hear me, my friends. Go ahead and talk to your friend about Jesus and see how they respond. And that seems to be the reason most people don't, right? We don't, oh, it could be uncomfortable. They might not be. I'll tell you what, my friends. I had a next-door neighbor, good, good friend, even to this day when I was a new believer. I was just a teenager, my friends. But I'm like, my life is being transformed here following Christ. i got to tell my friend. Because what kind of friend would I be if I don't tell my friend about Jesus? Hey, we could be friends on earth, but hmm, too bad about that hell thing. But I'll tell you what, I knew this guy didn't want to hear. Anytime I'd ever even talked about church, he would, you know, do that turn his head thing. I want to hear nothing about it. But what kind of friend would I be? If I said nothing, sure, I'll get scowled at. People might even say unkind things to me. Oh, you believe in the for the heaven fairy. Oh, you're so silly. If only you were as smart as me. And other unkind things too unkind to mention here. And yet, my friends, we've been called to live that way. To walk as he walked. And so we see that Jesus expected his disciples to follow him. Peter taught the very same thing. Now even John, the beloved disciple, taught that following Jesus, living as he lived, is proof of who we are. In 1 John chapter 2, 
1 John chapter 2, starting in about halfway into verse 5, you will notice this statement. 1 John chapter 2, by this, by what? By this, we may know that we are in Him. What's the evidence, John? Tell us what it is. And here it is in verse 6. Whoever says he abides in Him, that's Jesus, He ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Because, friends, if you aren't walking with him, you ain't with him. If your lifestyle contradicts Jesus, there's something wrong, and it ain't with Jesus. The Word of God here tells us, this is how we know who's legit. And who isn't? You don't have to listen to what they say, my friends. Watch what they do. Because what we do is born of what we believe. Third reason that Jesus became the God-man. And we already know this one. It is... He became the God-man. He became human. He added humanity to Himself was to redeem us. He became the God-man to redeem us. You say, what does that mean? Well, what does it mean to redeem? It means to buy us back. And at what cost? Well, the cross, of course. Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 4, and verse 4, we read this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus came, the very Son of God, incarnate, my friends, in flesh, in order to redeem us. And we know, again, the cost of this redemption was the cross. Mark 10.45, which I would suggest to you is the purpose statement of the book of Mark. It's very similar to Luke 19. Very similar. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. What's the purpose of a ransom, my friend? Is it not to set people free? To deliver them from their sins. And here in 1 Timothy verse chapter 1 and verse 15, this, the saying is trustworthy. You should put your trust in this truth. And it is deserving of full acceptance. And here it is, my friends, that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. He came to die for you, to redeem you, my friends, to buy you out of the slave market of sin and to adopt you into the family of God. Jesus took on humanity 
lived among us, taught, suffered, insults cast upon very God, the one who created them. Yeah. And he died for them. And he died for you. Don't forget that. He died for you. Yeah, he died for the world. That's easy to say. Who's the world, my friends? Raise your hand. He died in your place, suffering what you and I both deserve, in order that we might be forgiven and adopted into the family of God. Fourth reason, number four, and here it is. Jesus became a man to be an understanding high priest. Well, there's a statement for you. Jesus became human to be an understanding high priest. What in the world is that all about? Well, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. The book of Hebrews is a wonderful book. I highly commend studying this book. The author of this letter, my friends, is taking a moment. The key word of this book is better. Jesus is better. And it is, it is a wonderful book because the focus is on Jesus saying so many things about him. And in this particular case, Jesus is a better high priest than any of those rascals in the Old Testament. Yeah, so in Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 14, we read this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Not a one of those rascals in the Old Testament did that. And so our high priest, the one who prays for us, is at the right hand of God. No, not wondering if there's anything in the way busted communication with the Father. Oh, no. No, 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 my friends. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And here's the instruction. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. You fall onto your knees and plead with God for help in difficult days. And at the back of your mind you wonder, what does Jesus know about this, my friends? Read the stories. Read the Gospels. Jesus knew all about weaknesses. He endured weakness. He was a child for heaven's sakes. Jesus didn't just pop up and, hey, here I am, a grown man. He was birthed. Jesus in his humanity was a toddler. I'll guarantee you this, my friends, he had some skin knees along the way just like you and me. Although I wore tough skins when I was a kid. Anyone else? Remember those guys from Sears? No? Just me? Hey, not everybody can be cool. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So he endured weakness. 
I mean, he hungered, he thirsted while on the cross. You know, what he got to do, I thirst. Now, what do you mean by that? Give me some water for heaven's sakes. And he endured temptation, just like you do. When your heart is drawn away because of some craving you have inside, the only difference betwixt you and him, no craving. Oh, sure. You know, when Jesus began his ministry, he was led out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Jesus knew everything that lay before him and never gave in. I will endure it. I will not turn to the right or to the left. He endured that temptation. And He has enabled you to do the same through His Holy Spirit. And so if we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin... So let us then, and here is the application, and don't you dare miss this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Jesus gets it. He knows what it's like to be you. To be tempted, to have great temptations thrown in your direction, to go the easy way instead of the way of growth. Jesus became the God-man to be an understanding high priest, a priest who gets it. And so we go confidently to our knees, crying out to God for help. And he hears us, and he gets us. And finally here, my friends, finally here, we see the last reason. And this is not often thought about. It's sung about in the songs. We know all about Jesus is the son of David. What in the world does that mean? Well, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Second Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, this is an extraordinarily important passage in the Scriptures. This is one to hide away in your heart. There are a number of covenants in the Scriptures. They are like a map to show us what is beholding us, what is before us what to look forward to, what to anticipate from God. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, you know the story, we've told it before. King David looked over at this tabernacle and said, surely our God is worthy of more than a tent. And so in his heart, he wanted to build God a temple. 
And he told the prophet Nathan, hey, I want to build God a temple. Well, Nathan comes, you know, hears from God. He says, hey, that's really nice that David wants to build a temple. But I want you to tell him something. And let's take a look what God tells David. He says that uh, you want to build a, te uh, <laughs> a temple for me? I want to build a house for you. He says, verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, in other words, when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, an actual descendant of David. And I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Because he shall reign forever and ever. And I will be to him a father. And he shall be to me a son. Yeah, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with a rod of men, with the stripes of the Son of Men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, who I put away from before you. A covenant with David that one day his seed will reign forever. Now here's a problem here, my friends. Thus far in history, there has, no been, there has been no descendant of David who has reigned forever and ever. We sang a song about Jesus reigning over the earth and joy to the world. The Savior comes, yeah, and he reigns and he does, but that ain't happened yet. But it certainly will. And in our study in the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ, in chapter 19, we saw that Jesus will one day finally sit on the throne of his father David, and he will reign forever on a new heaven and on this new earth. And we will reign with him. And my friends, this matters to us because this is your future. One day we will reign with Christ. And we will reign forever with him over this earth as is intended from the back of the beginning of Genesis. You see, let's wrap it up here. Wrap it up. In a sentence, my friend, let this ring in your ears this Christmas season. Jesus became the God-man so that you might know God. That you might know God. And so the question is, do you know him? Now, I want to talk to you here this morning about this. I've seen these faces of yours for quite a while now, coming up on 16 years here at Family Bible Church. And many for the truth for many of you, even more. And so you know all about God, but that's not the question I asked. I didn't ask. Do you know about God? Jesus didn't come for your information. 
but for your transformation. And so here's the question. You've heard me say it, but I will say it again for those who are watching on the Internet. Days from now, hear me when I ask you this. You know that Christ died for your sin and He rose from the dead. Knowing this will not save you. We're not saved because we can pass a test. We are saved by God's grace sending His Son to die for us and putting our trust in Him. For by grace are you saved through faith. And remember, faith is not just accepting something as true. It is acting on it. Faith, the only way it can be demonstrated is by actions. The only way you know that you are a Christian, my friend, is because you can look and see how you live differently because you're trusting Him. You step out in faith and obey Him when it scares you. And you'd rather turn and run. You make a hard stand, though it is uncomfortable and maybe even people are hostile. But you trust Him. You obey His words. You follow Him. So do you know God? That's why He came. Do you have a growing relationship with Him? Do you even know what that means? How is your relationship with God different this year than it was last year? And how has that changed the way that you live? Let me ask you this. Do you take time every day to pray? You know, aside from the thank you God for this food. To fellowship with Him. To talk to Him about what's going on in your world. The struggles that you're having the temptation that is around you. Do you see how God acts on your benefit? And do you praise Him for it? Friends, if that is absent from your life, what life are you living? Do you walk the way that He walks? Why not? Why are you not compassionate to others? Why do you not speak the truth, though it is unpopular? Why do you not love those who are unlovely? Perhaps it's because you never intended to. Time for a change, my friend. And is your hope in Him? Hmm. This time of year, fight the temptation to think that Christmas has anything to do with Jesus. It's not about trees, my friends. I love these decorations. I love the lights. I was just hearing this morning someone driving around looking at all the lights and the manger scenes, and, and it's wonderful and it's beautiful. But do not be deceived. The celebration of Christmas is the remembrance 
that the Son of God became man to reveal God to you, that you might know him. And is your hope in him? Because, my friends, hope in the Bible is not I wish. Hope is anticipation. It is the expectation that something is going to happen. And it is according to God's promise that the Lord Jesus, whom we celebrate, will return. He will take us to Himself and we will live with Him forever. Is that the hope that gets your blood pumping, my friends? Because is it a reason that Jesus came.